Thank you, Pastor. And ironically, I was going to open up with a little story about uh, my wife. But first, let me thank Pastor for the opportunity to speak. And it is an honor, and I'm truly humbled to be here with you as always. And I, I am thankful for you because you're very gracious and very kind. And you never make me feel like I've done a terrible job. And I, I hope there's some truth in there somewhere. <laughs> but this is not about me anyways. It's about the Lord and his glory. Amen? Amen? And last time I spoke, it was brought to my attention that I might have cast my wife in a, in a poor way. <laughs> and so I want to hopefully redeem myself just a little bit tonight. Just before Anne and I met, she had been, so we hadn't even met. We went to the same church camps, and you know, you should recognize people, and I do. I did recognize people that I would know year after year that I would meet or see, just know, hey, I, I recognize I met them at church camp or wherever I've seen them, and um, Anne and I went to the same church camps and never crossed paths. We sang at one point in the same youth corral and didn't meet each other, didn't know each other, didn't see each other. I'm thankful she wouldn't have liked me for sure back then. But uh, one day, just prior to us meeting, she had been visiting Florida and she was visiting family down there, and it wasn't long after 9-11, so when it was time to come home, the security lines, even though it had been a couple years, they were still really long, really slow to get through the airport, and she had ended up missing her flight because of waiting in line for the security checks, and ended up needing to stay in Florida for the weekend, and when she had gone to church that Sunday, She's told me the story many times. It felt like, actually, she knows that God was in that whole ordeal because that Sunday, the preacher preached a sermon that he titled, Deciding to Die. And he preached about how it's not about your will, it's about God's will. And if you can give up yourself and let God have control and let him do what he would do with you, the end is better than the beginning in God. And so for the first time ever, now her big thing was she wanted to be married. That was her big thing that she just knew someday she was going to be married. And somehow this sermon convicted her and she came to the altar and said, this is it, Lord. I know I will be single for the rest of my life. If that's what you've called me to do, I lay it down. I'm not going to worry about anything else. I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to lay down even this one thing that I've desired so, so long. And after that meeting, after that prayer time with God, she knew that God had called her, and she had given up whatever God's will was for her. She was willing and resigned that she was going to do God's will. And it wasn't but a month or so later that she came to Newark to visit a friend who moved here and wanted to introduce her to uh, a guy in the church and set up this blind date, which I was not thrilled about. 
I didn't want to go. In fact, I was praying very hard about finding a reason not to go. And I, in fact, I had a concert that I was in at the, at Denison that night. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I was calling all day long, trying to see if um, the plans were even still in place. I didn't want to show up at someone's house and nobody be there. And so I was praying about it. I said, okay, Lord, I've called all day long. They haven't answered. I'm going to go to this concert at Denison. And if, uh, if I get a hold of them before I go, then I'll go and meet this lady. And if I don't get a hold of them, then I'm off the hook. I'm not going. And literally, if you've ever been to Denison, I was driving up the hill, the entrance to the hill, and I get a call. Plans are still on. I'm like, oh, Lord. Okay, you, I told you I'd go if I got a hold of them before the concert, so I'll go. And I went, and you know what? She had the same expectations I did. If you know her, this is out of character. She wore just a ponytail. She didn't dress up. A sweatshirt, I think it was. Not expecting anything. <laughs> and from the very first moment we met, and uh, I knew the Lord was in something special from that moment. But all because just a little while before, she had given up everything that she said she ever wanted and said, Lord, I'm going to follow your will. And the rest, as they say, is history. And it's a good history. Amen. Coming on 20 years now of marriage and uh, amen. <laughs> Pastor, it was not technically the first marriage because uh, I still had Brother Newstrand do the vows because you had just come, and I wanted to honor him and honor you, and you were involved, but I believe he did that. So Jared and Tabby actually were the technical first ones that he married, and they teased me about that a lot, too. <laughs> Good, he said. Anyways, the pastor's message on Sunday has been reverberating in me, and even before that, I'd already been feeling exactly what he was preaching about on Sunday, and that was to honor God, to give him glory, and to die to self, that it's not about you, it's about God. It's not about your will and what you want to do, but can you die to yourself and allow God to have his will in your life. It's all about honoring God. And Mark chapter 12 says this, and Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. With all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's really nothing left in there that you can't keep for yourself. Everything in your life is going to boil down to one of those four things, your heart, soul, mind, or strength. Everything in there is saying you've got to love the Lord your God with everything you've got. And as I was praying on pastor's sermon and praying about what the Lord has been speaking to my heart about. It's in my heart to honor God with my time, money, with my, f with my food, 
I'm just being a little transparent. I hate it, and I love it, and I mostly love it, but not this week, Pastor. I'm not loving this week. With my thoughts, with my entertainment, with what comes through on my phone, what, what I'm doing with my spare time, Lord, I want to honor you with everything I am. Colossians chapter 3 says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Can you say that? Can you say, in everything I'm doing, Lord, I'm doing it for you. I'm going to work, and I'm doing it for you. That's a hard one. There are days when I, Lord, if it weren't for you, I'd probably not be here. Can I get an amen? amen? But all that I do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, and not just do it with gritted teeth, but it says giving thanks to God and the Father by him. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. In everything I do, I'm going to give him glory. But this is not the way of the world. This is not the way of humanity. This is definitely not the way of our culture right now. If you look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They didn't give him glory. I don't, you can look just about anywhere and see that that's true today. Who are we giving glory to? It's all about me. Everything's about me. My Facebook profile's about me. The po pictures I'm posting are about me. What I'm putting on Instagram, it's about me. I've got to have my hair done just right, and I've got to have my, oh, my plate of food that looks just so great. It's all about me. And the culture is doing exactly what this verse says. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. That's not how it is for us. We are not to give ourselves glory. In fact, and I don't mean to sound heavy-handed at all, it's what's in my heart. The Lord's been working on me in this. And it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, if you literally get in there and destroy the works of the flesh, that's when you shall live. If you want to live in Christ, you've got to die. If you want to live in him and have that life more abundantly that he promised, it first takes death. And I wish it was just a one-time thing, but 1 Corinthians 15.31 says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. <sighs> I got to do it every day. <sighs> because my flesh, I think some days he wakes up stronger and I've got to subdue him. I've got to make sure that I die daily. I've got to take the time to say, not my will, but thine, Lord. I want your will to be done. Let me die to my will, to my flesh, and let you live in me. Amen? 
And Jesus said it like this. There are some people out there who, not in our church that I've ever met, but there are those out there who says, I don't care what Paul says or Peter says. What's Jesus say? So I'll tell you what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. In verse 23, he says, and he said to them, if any man will come after me, let him live life to the fullest. Let him do whatever he wants. It's going to be great. No, it says, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And this is before he went to the cross himself. He told them, take up their cross and follow me for whosoever. And here it is again. If you want to live, if you save your life, you're going to lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Hallelujah. And Pastor mentioned also on Sunday that this is not something that you can just pray once for and it's all done. And it's not even something that the Lord is going to make you do. And I'm thankful for that, that he's not just all the time knocking me down and knocking me down and knocking me down. He's asking me to do it. Philippians chapter 2 Verse 12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You have to do it. Work it out. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you can die to self, then he can work in you according to his will. Amen. And I want his will to be done in my life. The only way I can do that is if I die out to myself and say, God, you have your way in me. James 4 verse 8 says it like this, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. But then he's not washing you. He says, cleanse your hands. You got to get in there and put your hands, get them clean, get the soap on, rub them. He says, get Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. He's not going to do it. He's asking you to do it. He's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to make you do anything. He could. But he does not want that for you because what would that mean to him? If he made you do it, what good would that do him? What pleasure would he have? What sacrifice would that be to him if he forced you to do it or made you do it? Instead, Lord, cleanse my hands, purify my mind. Let me walk before you in the beauty of holiness. Amen? If we really want to live a fulfilled life, all our dreams, all our hopes, our plans need to align with him. And if he changes it, because I've already given up myself, if he changes those plans, no biggie. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. I'm going to go where he wants me to go. And that's hard for us because I don't know about you, but I've made some plans. I've had some dreams and some things that I'd like to do. But when I'm in God's hands, I don't have to worry about whether I achieved it. Pastor was talking about it on Sunday, meeting people that were downright depressed because they hadn't achieved certain goals that they had in their lives. And that's okay with me because it's not about my goals anyways. I want what God wants, and I'm not going to go where he doesn't want me to go, and I'm going to stay until he says to go. I'm going to wait on the Lord, and I'll go where he says go. I'll speak what, I, what he says speak. I'll do with my hands what he says to do. It's about him. It's not about me. Amen? 
And then I think of this verse in Psalms chapter 34. Because pride is an issue with, again, I'll just, I'm talking about myself. Pride is an issue. And it says, my soul shall make her boast in everything I've done. My soul shall make her boast in what, um, that was a great lesson I taught yesterday in school. (laughs) I don't often come away thinking that, but hopefully there's a few lessons in there that are pretty good. I make my boast in the things that I'm talking about and the things in my life that I like to do. No. David said, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Where does my pride in my abilities and my talents and my ways that I can do things and my desires and the way that I've done my life and lived it and the decisions I've made? Oh, I've done so good. No way. My soul is making her boast in the Lord. God, you've been good. You've deserved the glory. You've been excellent. Everything that I have is because of who you are. And I want to live my life making sure that my boast is in the Lord. And then I think about this wonderful passage, and I've, I've often thought about this, prayed about this, and it hits me hard. In John chapter 21, there's a great passage when Peter is talking to Jesus And he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, this is Jesus talking to Peter, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Next slide. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. So a little prophecy Jesus is throwing in about Peter, and he was saying, look, another's going to lead you. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him his command, after he gave him a little insight of what his end is going to be, didn't say pray about it, didn't say argue with me about it. He simply said, follow me. This is where I'm leading you. Are you going to follow? I'm going to take you here. Are you willing to go? And then, and I love this part, then Peter turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, he's talking about John, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? So all talking about John. Peter seeing him saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? So Jesus gives him a little insight into what his future is going to hold. He says, follow me. And then Peter immediately is like pointing the finger to somebody else. But what about him? Like, you've told me what's going to happen here, but what about this guy over here? And Jesus saith unto him, if it will that he tarry till I come. And then he says this, what is that to you? My will for you has nothing to do with this guy's will. And what I'm doing in his life What does that matter one bit to you? I'm God, and if you give me control of your life, let me do what I will do in you, and don't concern yourself with somebody else. Amen? The Bible even says not to compare yourself amongst yourselves. It's not wise. Don't worry about what God's doing with and through someone else. You worry about, we say that to our students all the time, you just worry about you. That's what it is. I've got to worry about what it is that God wants for me, and I can't worry about why somebody else is getting some kind of blessing, at least I perceive it that way. Why is somebody else getting all these accolades? Why is someone else this and that? 
what is that to me? I'm going to follow the Lord and let him take me where he will. And that's exactly what he asked Peter to do. Follow me. Amen. And then the question is, why? What's in it for me? Why then should I? What, what reason do I have to give up everything I am and put it in the Lord's hands? And the best thing I could come up with, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, it says that I may know him. I want to know this God. I want to know him. I want to know what makes him happy. I want to know what grieves him. I want to know all that I can possibly find out about this great God that we serve, that I may know him. And then the power of his resurrection. Think about that for a second. What kind of resurrection can there be if there isn't first a death? I've got to die if I'm going to even know what it's like to resurrect. And I know I'm speaking about spiritually, not physically, but I've got to die out to my will so that I might even attain to this resurrection. And I want to know that. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. That doesn't sound pleasant. That's not exciting. That's not shouting material. But I want to know what his, the fellowship of his sufferings, to be made conformable unto his death. And the only way I can do that is to die myself, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Amen. I've got to know that. I want to know him. I want to know him in every way, and I've got to die to myself in order to find that deep relationship with him. And when we do, we have something even greater. My heart has really been thinking about this lately, and that is we are not going to be stuck here. Either we're going to die and go to heaven, or the rapture is going to take place, and we're caught up together with him in the clouds. We've got a great hope in store for us. We're not stuck here wallowing around in self-pity. We know that we have a great place to head for us, for us to go. John chapter 14 says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And then he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. If there was something else up there, he said, I would let you know. All I'm going to tell you, there's many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I want to get to that place. Amen? I want to be with him in heavenly places and be living for eternity, not worried about anything else but to be in his presence. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. I'm going up. I'm going to that place in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this, For now we see through a glass darkly. We don't have all the details about heaven. We've got some, we've got a lot actually, but we don't have it all. I, I don't know all the details of what heaven's going to be like. The Bible doesn't tell us everything, but it says, Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face 
to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. I can't wait to get to that place. And if I am known, if I shall know even as I also am known, it sounds like we're going to know some other people up there. When Jesus transfigured, the apostles were somehow, the disciples were able to recognize that that was Moses and Elijah with him when he transfigured on the mountain. Well, they'd never met Moses or Elijah. But in that moment, when they were transfigured, they knew exactly who they were. So that gives me some hope that when I get there, I'm going to recognize some people. I'm going to be known and I get to know other people. And for some of us, that means a great deal. We're going to be reconnected with some of those loved ones. Now, it does say there's no marriage in heaven. I don't know what that's all about. So I'm going to know her. But I'll be like, hey, remember those 20 years? Hopefully plus. <laughs> we don't know it all. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. I'm going to see him face to face. I'm going to hear him say, we sang it tonight, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Those are the words I want to hear. The opposite is depart from me, and I just don't feel like he could say this. I never knew you. I just don't feel like it. I know him, and I'm learning more of him, and I'm growing still, 43, and still learning more and more about who God is, and I hope I don't stop until he calls me up. But I know him, and I sure believe that when I see him, that look of recognition is going to be in his eyes, and he's going to say, well done. Not depart from me. I never knew you. How could he say that? He can't say that. I've died to serve him. Amen? I'm in his presence, filled with the Holy Ghost. We have a relationship, and it's more than just words on a page or the religion that we're going through, ceremony. It is a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and it is wonderful. Life more abundantly. Amen. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Revelation 21, 21. I don't know why this gets me going, but for Revelation 21, verse 21 says, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. That's cool. This one, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass, and we get to walk it. I can't wait. I want to dance on those streets of gold. I want to walk on that street we're going somewhere. I'm going to be there. I'm going to stand on that street. I'm hopefully going to recognize some people, and I'm going to see him and worship him for eternity. Amen. Psalm chapter 29, it's all about bringing God glory. It says this, give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. I'm going to glorify him, glorify him, give him glory and strength, give unto the Lord the glory, do unto his name. Now, I know people want to say us Pentecostals decently in order, decent and in order. We're swinging off the chandeliers. 
We're running the aisles. We're singing and shouting. You can come just about any Sunday, Sunday night, and see if you're not used to it. It's going to raise some eyebrows, I'm sure. But I can't imagine, I don't even think what we've done in here gives him glory that he deserves. Due unto his name. I don't think if I just exploded that that would be enough to give glory that's due unto his name. That name is above every name. The name and whoo, swing off the chandeliers, run and jump and holler and spit and snot and all the stuff. I still think we should have tennis shoes on the platform. <laughs> Just saying. Because it says, give glory, do unto his name, worship the Lord. And then it says this, in the beauty of holiness, in the beauty of holiness, that word beauty in the Hebrew is only used five times in the Bible. And in every case, it's talking about attire, putting on, and it's related to public worship. In the beauty of holiness, in public, at church, when people are around, I'm going to put on this worship, the beauty. I'm going to adorn the beauty. And then holiness, that word, is actually used 400 times, over 400 times in the Bible. And it means to be separate, to be separated for are consecrated for holy use. So in public, when I'm out and about, when I'm in church publicly worshiping the Lord, or when I'm out and about in public, if I'm going to worship him in the beauty of holiness, I'm going to have an, an adornment, an aura. I'm going to walk around and people ought to see there's something different. It doesn't, I'm not talking about what you're wearing. I'm talking about what you're portraying, what's coming off of you. What it is, the beauty of holiness. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Give glory that's due unto his name. And I feel like we sing songs, show me your glory. That one hits me hard because, wow, if he really, Moses had to be covered up to see his glory. I want to see his glory. That's a big thing, a big ask. And one day, we will get to be in his presence and see his glory. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That word does not mean what it does today. A peculiar, weird. Sometimes I might be weird. A weird people. But that's not what Paul is saying to be. Go be a weird weirdo. No, he's saying you are, that word pe peculiar there means separated and, and like purchased of God. So we are a separate people, purchased of the Lord, that you should do what? Show forth all the cool things that I've done. List all the, I always used to joke I wanted to be Reverend Dr. Sir Michael Hancock. I wanted all the titles to precede me. It, what does that matter? Oh, this person has all these titles. You can't be knighted, by the way. I found that out. I'm not a British citizen. You can't be knighted if you're not actually British, which is too bad. 
that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what he did for me. What glory can I take of myself? If I were left up to my own devices, surely I wouldn't be showing forth his glory. I wouldn't be going around showing his marvelous light in my own devices, but because of what he's done for me. Hallelujah. I got a little science lesson. I think the next slide might have a diagram. Yay! Get science excited sometimes. This is the color spectrum of visible light that you and I can see with our eyes and perceive. The long wavelengths, we see red, and then there's a sort of spectrum. They get shorter and shorter through the rainbow, and you get to the shortest wavelengths, and you see purple. This is the visible light spectrum that we, we can see with our eyes. Everything either absorbs or reflects light, and if it's a black substance, if the thing is black, like my suit jacket, then it absorbs everything. All the colors of light, it absorbs and reflects nothing back to your eyes. And so that void of color is what we perceive as black. And the opposite of that is white. And white reflects all the colors of light. It doesn't absorb any of it. The light hits it and then all the colors of the rainbow are reflected back, and that mixture of those wavelengths we perceive in our eyes as white. And I really believe that this is how a spiritual thing reflected in a physical thing, that we are to be adorned in white. He's called us to be pure and to reflect who he is. We can't reflect who he is unless we're dying to self and allowing him to shine forth through us, to show forth his praises. Amen? So if we are a mirror, if we're a reflective, if we're showing forth the image of not who I am, but when people see me, I want them to see him. I do want people to start to say a bad word and fix themselves around me. They don't know anything about me, but I want them to feel that. I want Jesus to be reflected from me. I, I want people to see Jesus in me when I'm walking around and doing nothing, pumping gas or going to the grocery store. I want that reflection of who he is. Amen. When you talk to people, when you see people, I want Jesus to be reflected in me and them not even see me. I want them to see Jesus. I want to reflect all that light and give him glory. A mirror reflects everything, no absorption at all. And what that is perceived by the viewer is white. Amen. And in my studying back in my college days, now getting further and further behind me, um, I double majored. I did, or double minored actually, majored in life science, a double minored in chemistry and French because that makes sense. And the French, when I was studying French, um, we would, I, I, I'd been studying French since about, uh, I think, sixth grade started. And so uh, by the time I got to college, I was already through French five, and I took uh, um, AP French. And so when I got to college and I took the placement test, where to go, I only had to take one, like, 
um, grammar course. And after that, we were studying, like classes were in French. We were studying French art, French literature, <sighs> really fun stuff in French. And then uh, one of the things I remember learning is in art, we're learning about French art and artists, I'm no artist by any means. I can barely draw stick figures and even they come out looking really wonky. But when you read and study these artists, what you find is there's always a focal point in a painting. And so when they're painting these paintings, everything in the painting is designed to draw your eye to the one focal point in the painting. And just sort of as an example, I mean, maybe this is too popular to show, maybe it won't really portray what I'm trying to show, but in the next slide, if you turn to that slide, you'll see one of the most famous paintings ever. And we look at the Mona Lisa and we can see her mysterious smile. Uh, we might see it's her face that we're all looking at, wondering about. Would anybody be able to describe the background? If I just asked you casually on the street, hey, what's in the background of the Mona Lisa painting? Because why? The background and everything, the way the artist painted that painting was to draw your attention to something else, the focal point. Can you play the background for Jesus? Can you let him be the focal point of the painting that he's trying to portray? Can you be just the background and let your life draw the attention to this focal point, to him? That's what he's asking us to do. He's not forcing us. He's not twisting our arms. He's not making us do it. He's asking us to die to self so that he can live in us. And he said he would give you life and life more abundantly. Does this mean you can't have ambition or drive, that you can't have desires and wants? Absolutely not. You can. It just means you need to give them to God. And harder, make sure that you can. Can you give it up? Can you give him the one thing that you have wanted or desired all your life? It's not that he's going to destroy it. It's not that he's not going to let you do it. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Can you give it to him? I'm reminded of the talents, the three with the talents. One came back 30-fold, one 60-fold, and then the other... The one that wasn't blessed, he didn't do anything with his talent. God couldn't use it because he hid it. I want God to be able to use me. And it doesn't matter that you've died to yourself. God can still give you. Psalms 37 and verse 4. I, always, I like to read this in both ways that I think you can. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I like the way that sounds. But I like to read it this way, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. What your heart desires, he can put those in there. He can let your heart desire the things that he wants you to desire. If you delight yourself in the Lord. We have, and I'm closing, two stories that sort of portray this. The rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, and we don't have to read 
line by line here, but we remember the story of the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do? What, what is it I've got to do, Lord? And he, Jesus gives him some commandments to follow, um, give to the poor, do all these things. And then he said, I've done all that. I've, I've done all that. He, if I really believe this, this young man, if Jesus had said, climb the highest mountain and dance up there and lose your mind, that he would have done it. He was willing. If he had told him to take his shoes off and hop on one foot for three days, I think he would have done it. But Jesus got right to the heart of the matter and said, one thing, one thing, would you sell all that you have and give to the poor? That was it. That was the one thing. And he walked away. And how much spiritual potential that young man might have had in the kingdom of God. But he walked away. He, he couldn't do that one thing. On the flip side of that, in the Old Testament, we have the story of Elisha. And you can reference it in 1 Kings chapter 19, who when Elijah, the prophet, came and put his uh, mantle around him and called him to follow him, Elisha said, let me go back. And he said, okay, fine, go back. And Elisha went back, and you know what he did? He burned his oxen. He burned the plow. He gave to the people to eat. He burned any chance of having a life to go back to. He said, I'm going to follow this prophet, this man of God, and I'm not even giving myself the chance to come back to anything. I'm selling out. The disciples did the same thing. I can't. I often read it. Jesus comes, talks to the guys on the boat. Come on, follow me. And they just get off the boat and follow. We know Peter had a wife because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Peter just left, followed Jesus. I want that to be my legacy. I suppose that you don't even remember me, that you just remember Jesus. That's what I want. I want God to be reflected through me and in me and to give him all the glory.